Section 18 of Tales of Unrest Seventh part of The Return This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org Recording by Ray Tales of Unrest by Joseph Conrad Seventh part of The Return He spoke suddenly, as if concluding a discussion. The best thing for us is to forget all this. She started a little and shut the fan with a click. Yes, forgive, and forget, he repeated as if to himself. I'll never forget, she said in a vibrating voice, and I'll never forgive myself. But I, who have nothing to reproach myself, he began, making a step towards her. She jumped up. I did not come back for your forgiveness, she exclaimed passionately, as if clamouring against an unjust aspersion. He only said, Oh, and became silent. He could not understand this unprovoked aggressiveness of her attitude, and certainly was very far from thinking that an unpremeditated hint of something resembling emotion in the tone of his last words had caused that uncontrollable burst of sincerity. It completed his bewilderment, but he was not at all angry now. He was as if benumbed by the fascination of the incomprehensible. She stood before him, tall and indistinct, like a black phantom in the red twilight. At last, poignantly uncertain as to what would happen if he opened his lips, he muttered, But if my love is strong enough, and hesitated. He heard something snap loudly in the fiery stillness, she had broken her fan. Two thin pieces of ivory fell, one after another, without a sound on the thick carpet, and instinctively he stooped to pick them up. While he groped at her feet, it occurred to him that the woman there had in her hands an indispensable gift which nothing else on earth could give, and when he stood up, he was penetrated by an irresistible belief in an enigma, by the conviction that within his reach and passing away from him was the very secret of existence, its certitude, immaterial and precious. She moved to the door, and he followed at her elbow, casting about for a magic word that would make the enigma clear, that would compel the surrender of the gift. And there is no such word. The enigma is only made clear by sacrifice, and the gift of heaven is in the hands of every man but they had lived in a world that abhors enigmas and cares for no gifts but such as can be obtained in the street she was nearing the door he said hurriedly upon my word i loved you i love you now she stopped for an almost imperceptible moment to give him an indignant glance and then moved on that feminine penetration so clever and so tainted by the eternal instinct of self-defence so ready to see an obvious evil in everything it cannot understand filled her with bitter resentment against both the men who could offer to the spiritual and tragic strife of her feelings nothing but the coarseness of their abominable materialism in her anger against her own ineffectual self-deception she found hate enough for them both what did they want what more did this one want? And as her husband faced her again, with his hand on the door-handle, she asked herself whether he was unpardonably stupid or simply ignoble. She said nervously and very fast, You're deceiving yourself. 
You never loved me. You wanted a wife. Some woman, any woman, that would think, speak, and behave in a certain way, in a way you approved. You loved yourself. You won't believe me, he asked, slowly. If I had believed you loved me, she began passionately, then drew in a long breath, and during that pause he heard the steady beat of blood in his ears. If I had believed it, I would never have come back, she finished, recklessly. He stood looking down as though he had not heard. She waited. After a moment he opened the door, and on the landing the sightless woman of marble appeared, draped to the chin, thrusting blindly at them a cluster of lights. He seemed to have forgotten himself in a meditation so deep that on the point of going out she stopped to look at him in surprise. While she had been speaking, he had wandered on the track of the enigma out of the world of senses into the region of feeling. What did it matter what she had done, what she had said, if through the pain of her acts and words he had obtained the word of the enigma? There can be no life without faith and love, faith in a human heart, love of a human being. That touch of grace, whose help once in life is the privilege of the most undeserving, flung open for him the portals of beyond, and in contemplating there the certitude immaterial and precious, he forgot all the meaningless accidents of existence, the bliss of getting, the delight of enjoying, all the protean and enticing forms of the cupidity that rules a material world of foolish joys, of contemptible sorrows, faith, love, the undoubting clear faith in the truth of a soul, the great tenderness deep as the ocean, serene and eternal, like the infinite peace of space above the short tempests of the earth. It was what he had wanted all his life, but he understood it only then for the first time. It was through the pain of losing her that the knowledge had come. She had the gift, she had the gift, and in all the world she was the only human being that could surrender it to his immense desire. He made a step forward, putting his arms out as if to take her to his breast, and, lifting his head, was met by such a look of blank consternation that his arms fell as though they had been struck down by a blow. She started away from him, stumbled over the threshold, and once on the landing turned, swift and crouching. The train of her gown swished as it flew around her feet. It was an undisguised panic. She panted, showing her teeth and the hate of strength, the disdain of weakness, the eternal preoccupation of sex, came out like a toy demon out of a box. This is odious, she screamed. He did not stir, but her look, her agitated movements, the sound of her voice were like a mist of facts thickening between him and the vision of love and faith. It vanished, and looking at that face triumphant and scornful, at that white face, stealthy and unexpected, as if discovered staring from an ambush, he was coming back slowly to the world of senses. His first clear thought was, I am married to that woman, and the next, she will give nothing but what I see. He felt the need not to see, but the memory of the vision, the memory that abides forever within the seer, made him say to her, with the naive austerity of a convert awed by the touch of a new creed, You haven't the gift. He turned his back on her, leaving her completely mystified, and she went upstairs slowly, struggling with a distasteful suspicion of having been confronted by something more subtle than herself, more profound than the misunderstood and tragic contest of her feelings. He shut the door of the drawing-room and moved at hazard, alone amongst the heavy shadows and in the fiery twilight as of an elegant place of perdition. She hadn't the gift, 
No one had. He stepped on a book that had fallen off one of the crowded little tables. He picked up the slender volume, and holding it, approached the crimson-shaded lamp. The fiery tint deepened on the cover, and contorted gold letters sprawling all over it in an intricate maze came out, gleaming redly. Thorns and arabesques. He read it twice. Thorns and ar... The other's book of verses. He dropped it at his feet, but did not feel the slightest pang of jealousy or indignation. What did he know? What? The mass of hot coals tumbled down in the grate, and he turned to look at them. Ah! That one was ready to give up everything he had for that woman, who did not come, who had not the faith, the love, the courage to come. What did that man expect? What did he hope, and what did he want? The woman, or the certitude, immaterial and precious. The first unselfish thought he had ever given to any human being was for that man, who had tried to do him a terrible wrong. He was not angry. He was saddened by an impersonal sorrow, by a vast melancholy as of all mankind longing for what cannot be attained. He felt his fellowship with every man, even with that man, especially with that man. What did he think now? Had he ceased to wait and hope? Would he ever cease to wait and hope? Would he understand that the woman who had no courage had not the gift? Had not the gift? The clock began to strike and the deep-toned vibration filled the room as though with the sound of an enormous bell tolling far away. He counted the strokes. Twelve. Another day had begun. Tomorrow had come. The mysterious and lying tomorrow that lures men, disdainful of love and faith, on and on through the poignant futilities of life to the fitting reward of a grave. He counted the strokes, and gazing at the grave seemed to wait for more. Then, as if called out, left the room, walking firmly. When outside he heard footsteps in the hall and stood still. A bolt was shot, then another. They were locking up, shutting out his desire and his deception from the indignant criticism of a world full of noble gifts for those who proclaim themselves without stain and without reproach. He was safe, and on all sides of his dwelling servile fears and servile hopes slept, dreaming of success behind the severe discretion of doors as impenetrable to the truth within as the granite of tombstones. A lock snapped, a short chain rattled. Nobody shall know. Why was this assurance of safety heavier than a burden of fear? And why the day that began presented itself obstinately like the last day of all, like a today without a tomorrow? Yet nothing was changed, for nobody would know and all would go on as before the getting the enjoying the blessing of hunger that is appeased every day the noble incentives of unappeasable ambitions all all the blessings of life all but the certitude immaterial and precious the certitude of love and faith he believed the shadow of it had been with him as long as he could remember that invisible presence had ruled his life and now the shadow had appeared and faded he could not extinguish his longing for the truth of its substance his desire of it was naive it was masterful like the material aspirations that are the groundwork of existence but unlike these it was unconquerable it was the subtle despotism of an idea that suffers no rivals that is lonely inconsolable and dangerous he went slowly up the stairs Nobody shall know. 
the days would go on and he would go far very far if the idea could not be mastered fortune could be man could be the whole world he was dazzled by the greatness of the prospect the brutality of a practical instinct shouted to him that only that which could be had was worth having he lingered on the steps the lights were out in the hall and a small yellow flame flitted about down there he felt a sudden contempt for himself which braced him up he went on but at the door of their room and with his arm advanced to open it he faltered on the flight of stairs below the head of the girl who had been locking up appeared his arm fell he thought i'll wait till she's gone and stepped back within the perpendicular folds of a portiere he saw her come gradually as if ascending from a well at every step the feeble flame of the candle swayed before her tired young face and the darkness of the hall seemed to cling to her black skirt followed her rising like a silent flood as though the great night of the world had broken through the discreet reserve of walls of closed doors of curtained windows it rose over the steps it leaped up the walls like an angry wave it flowed over the blue skies over the yellow sands over the sunshine of landscapes and over the pretty pathos of ragged innocence and of meek starvation it swallowed up the delicious idol in a boat and the mutilated immortality of famous bas-relief it flowed from outside it rose higher in a destructive silence and above it the woman of marble composed and blind on the high pedestal seemed to ward off the devouring night with a cluster of lights He watched the rising tide of impenetrable gloom with impatience, as if anxious for the coming of a darkness black enough to conceal a shameful surrender. It came nearer. The cluster of lights went out. The girl ascended, facing him. Behind her, the shadow of a colossal woman danced lightly on the wall. He held his breath while she passed by, noiseless and with heavy eyelids, and on her track the flowing tide of a tenebrous sea filled the house, seemed to swirl about his feet, and rising unchecked, closed silently above his head. The time had come, but he did not open the door. All was still, and instead of surrendering to the reasonable exigences of life, he stepped out, with a rebelling heart, into the darkness of the house. It was the abode of an impenetrable night, as though indeed the last day had come and gone, leaving him alone in the darkness that has no tomorrow and looming vaguely below the woman of marble livid and still like a patient phantom held out in the night a cluster of extinguished lights his obedient thought traced for him the image of an uninterrupted life the dignity and the advantages of an uninterrupted success while his rebellious heart beat violently within his breast, as if maddened by the desire of a certitude immaterial and precious, the certitude of love and faith, what of the night within his dwelling if outside he could find the sunshine in which men sow, in which men reap? Nobody would know. The days, the years would pass, and... He remembered that he had loved her. The years would pass. And then he thought of her, as we think of the dead, in a tender immensity of regret in a passionate longing for the return of idealized perfections he had loved her he had loved her and he never knew the truth the years would pass in the anguish of doubt he remembered her smile her eyes her voice her silence as though he had lost her forever 
The years would pass, and he would always mistrust her smile, suspect her eyes. He would always misbelieve her voice. He would never have faith in her silence. She had no gift. She had no gift. What was she? Who was she? The years would pass. The memory of this hour would grow faint, and she would share the material serenity of an unblemished life. She had no love and no faith for anyone. To give her your thought, your belief, was like whispering your confession over the edge of the world. Nothing came back, not even an echo. In the pain of that thought was born his conscience, not that fear of remorse which grows slowly and slowly decays amongst the complicated facts of life, but a divine wisdom springing full-grown, armed and severe out of a tried heart, to combat the secret baseness of motives. It came to him in a flash that morality is not a method of happiness. The revelation was terrible. He saw at once that nothing of what he knew mattered in the least. The acts of men and women, success, humiliation, dignity, failure, nothing mattered. It was not a question of more or less pain, of this joy, of that sorrow. It was a question of truth or falsehood. It was a question of life or death. He stood in the revealing night, in the darkness that tries the hearts, in the night useless for the work of men, but in which their gaze, undazzled by the sunshine of covetous days, wanders sometimes as far as the stars. The perfect stillness around him had something solemn in it, but he felt it was the lying solemnity of a temple devoted to the rites of a debasing persuasion. The silence within the discreet walls was eloquent of safety, but it appeared to him exciting and sinister, like the discretion of a profitable infamy. It was the prudent peace of a den of coiners, of a house of ill fame. The years would pass, and nobody would know. Never. Not to death. Not after. Never, he said aloud to the revealing night. And he hesitated. The secret of hearts, too terrible for the timid eyes of men, shall return, veiled forever, to the inscrutable creator of good and evil, to the master of doubts and impulses. His conscience was born. He heard its voice, and he hesitated, ignoring the strength within, the fateful power, the secret of his heart. It was an awful sacrifice to cast all one's life into the flame of a new belief. He wanted help against himself, against the cruel decree of salvation. The need of tacit complicity, where it had never failed himself, the habit of years affirmed itself. Perhaps she would help. He flung the door open and rushed in like a fugitive. He was in the middle of the room before he could see anything but the dazzling brilliance of the light, and then, as if detached and floating in it on the level of his eyes, appeared the head of a woman. She had jumped up when he burst into the room. For a moment they contemplated each other as if struck dumb with amazement. Her hair streaming on her shoulders glinted like burnished gold. He looked into the unfathomable candor of her eyes. Nothing within. Nothing. Nothing. He stammered distractedly. I want... I, I, I want to, to... to know... On the candid light of the eyes flitted shadows, shadows of doubt, of suspicion, 
the ready suspicion of an unquenchable antagonism, the pitiless mistrust of an eternal instinct of defence, the hate, the profound, frightened hate of an incomprehensible, of an abominable emotion intruding its coarse materialism upon the spiritual and tragic contest of her feelings. Alvin, I won't bear this, she began to pant suddenly. I have a right, a right to, to myself. He lifted one arm and appeared so menacing that she stopped in a fright and shrank back a little. He stood with uplifted hand. The years would pass and he would have to live with that unfathomable candor where flit shadows of suspicion and hate. The years would pass and he would never know, never trust. The years would pass without faith and love. Can you stand it? he shouted, as though she could have heard all his thoughts. He looked menacing. She thought of violence, of danger, and just for an instant she doubted whether there were splendours enough on earth to pay the price of such a brutal experience. He cried again, Can you stand it? And glared as if insane. Her eyes blazed too. She could not hear the appalling clamour of his thoughts. She suspected in him a sudden regret, a fresh fit of jealousy, a dishonest desire of evasion. She shouted back angrily, Yes! He was shaken where he stood, as if by a struggle to break out of invisible bonds. She trembled from head to foot. Well, I can't. He flung both his arms out as if to push her away and strode from the room. The door swung to with a click. She made three quick steps towards it and stood still, looking at the white and gold panels. No sound came from beyond, not a whisper, not a sigh. Not even a footstep was heard outside on the thick carpet. It was as though no sooner gone he had suddenly expired, as though he had died there and his body had vanished on the instant together with his soul. She listened, with parted lips and irresolute eyes. Then below, far below, as if in the entrails of the earth, a door slammed heavily, and the quiet house vibrated to it from roof to foundations, more than to a clap of thunder. He never returned. End of story. Recording by Ray of rarity.com R-A-E-R-I-T-Y dot com From Hong Kong April 2009